As the teen tycoon of rock, I'd like to hear them, and I'm sure you would too. Leave him alone, Miss Elsa. You bad luck to him. My name's Crazy, honey. What's yours? Bernice! What's the boogeyman? Will you marry me? Did he leave you any money? Answer the second question first. Cult Movies Podcast. My name is Anthony King. This show's all about author, critic, and historian Danny Perry and his cult movies books. We're going to discuss a movie from the first book, and then we're going to offer up some pairing recommendations. And joining me for the first time this season, my lovely co-host, Kristen Lipska. Hello, Kristen. How are you? Hello. I'm great. I enjoyed that preview show. Oh, good. I'm glad you did. Uh, great to have you here. You were sorely missed the first two episodes. Awesome. Here I am. People were asking where you were. I don't believe it. <laughs> Kristen, I don't lie. I would never <laughs> lie to you. I would never lie to you. Uh, joining Kristen and I uh, for this episode, episode number three, season number five, uh, back for the first time since episode three of season number one, the very like the 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 very beginning and it's because i'm a bad friend a bad host uh he hasn't been back but it's mike scott from action for everyone hello mike hello hello very happy to be back returning uh but uh, you're not a bad host or a bad friend anthony you've had way better guests on than me so i don't blame you not uh, true not true <clears throat> but uh, no, i'm just happy to be here tonight i'm very excited about this um, and then also join us. So what I've, I've been telling people, I asked someone to come on. So Mike is like the, the guest guest and he picked the movie. And then I was like, I'm going to ask someone else to be on too. And sometimes it'll be a surprise. Sometimes I'll tell the other person, but, uh, joining me, us, Kristen, Mike and I, uh, is Patrick Bromley from F this movie. Hello, Patrick. How are you? Hi everybody. You are a, a, a good host, but a bad friend. That's true. Okay, I'll take that. <laughs> it's got to be one or the other. You can't do both. Uh, I think it's humanly impossible to be a good friend and a good podcast host. <laughs> um, all right, so we're going to talk about a movie. I'm trying to think, is this, I don't think this is the oldest movie in the first book, but it's one of them. And uh, so many of these movies in uh, season five, I'm so shocked it's taken this long to get to them. So, Mike, I'm going to have you introduce what we're talking about this week. The movie that you chose is 1933's King Kong. And what was it about this one where you're like, yes, King Kong, I want to talk about King Kong. Or was it like, eh, I guess this is what's left. 
Well, so the, a little, a little bit of both uh, of the ones that were left. This is the only one that I really feel like I'm qualified to talk about. Uh, you know, and I think there's there's a lot going on here for me personally. As we'll get into the actual movie of King Kong, while I admired on a technical level, is actually not one of my favorites. But what I love about it is what it did pave the way for in terms of my favorites. You know, you, you trace this all the way to stuff like Avatar, uh, let alone like Japanese tokusatsu shows, or most importantly for me, Godzilla. They all trace their DNA to King Kong. And so for me, this is such a foundationally important movie to the movies that I love that I'm always happy to talk about it and excited to talk about it. Nice. Do you remember the first time you saw it? I would have been a kid, probably 10-ish, maybe, maybe even a little younger than that, uh, because I had I had seen... Godzilla versus versus King Kong uh, or King Kong versus Godzilla, I should say. And uh, so my parents had me watch the original King Kong after that. And uh, I even back then I'm like, well, Godzilla is still cooler. But uh, but nonetheless, I still really I dug the movie and it's always kind of stuck with me, um, you know, and I've probably watched it a half a dozen times over my over the rest of my life. Sure. Nice. Uh, Patrick, uh, you could have easily said, mm, no, thanks either because you don't like Mike, which I know is not true. Or you could have said no, thanks because you don't like King Kong. So obviously you like Mike and obviously you're willing to talk about King Kong. Uh, what is it about the original King Kong that you love? I love, I love King Kong in all its iterations. Uh, I actually grew up on the 1976 one. I didn't grow up on the OG I didn't see the OG probably until DVD. Uh, so sometime in the late 90s, early 2000s was the first time I saw it. And I've seen it probably five times since then. I was lucky enough to see a revival screening of it. So I got to see it on 35 at one point, which was really, really cool. Um, it's just one of those movies that makes you fall in love with movies. It's it's all about the magic of movie making uh, in a really cool way. And I love monster movies and I love horror movies and I love adventure movies. And this is one of the best of kind of all of them. Yeah. Kristen, have you, have you seen Kong on the big screen yet? At the I have not. No, this you... was, no. Sorry. Yeah. That's every story I have. Uh, <laughs> uh, this is my first time watching King Kong. I thought I had seen it. It turns out. Nope. Had not seen this movie Wait, before. This is about a monkey. <laughs> yeah the first time i saw king kong was like last year two years ago it's one of those where you assume you'd seen it right because we all grow up knowing about it and all the references and and the zeitgeist and everything but um i remember watching it for the first time whenever that was recently and thinking oh yeah i've never actually sat down yeah. and watched this and and i mike i kind of agree with you it's not you know, it's not a movie where I'm like, yes, I can watch this over and over and over because it's so great. Um, but I, I appreciate it because of, you know, it's it's one of the building blocks of uh, American cinema. I mean, world cinema, really. Um, so because, you know, I was watching, I did appreciate it more this time around for whatever reason. I think maybe just because it was so new to me the first time I watched, it, I was like, Oh, this is, you know, not great. Well, it's 1933. What am I expecting, you know, with great special effects? But having watched, 
you know, so many movies since and really appreciating older, older movies. Uh, I really loved, you know, the stop motion aspect of it. And, and we'll get in all that. Let's uh, before we go any further, let me play a little clip of the trailer here. movies were made. Adventure to make you wonder if it's true while your eyes convince you that it is. Truly the thrill of thrills. Don't miss it this time. Okay, I gotta ask anyone at any point when you're watching this, do you think it's true? My eyes tell me it is. Yeah. I thought it was real. I was really, uh, um, okay. So out of all the versions of King Kong, does, uh, Patrick, what's your favorite? Is it the 76 one that you grew up with? I know you love the Peter Jackson uh, no. one too. Yeah, I do love the Peter Jackson one. Um, gosh, that's the thing. It's like, you could put all three of them in front of me and I would, really be torn up on which one to watch i think quality wise 76 is probably the weakest of the three oh, okay um i still love it but it's it's definitely the the weakest of the three i mean i i gotta give it to the original just for the innovation um for being first for the amazing for the time visual effects uh because as much as i love the effects in 2005 it's like well you guys have computers you can do anything right um, and it is the 2005 is a little long, but I, I love all three. Yeah. I'll say this. I'll say the original. Okay. What about you, Mike? Uh, so this is going to be sacrilegious and your listeners ears are going to start bleeding. As soon as I say this, Anthony mine's Kong skull Island. I absolutely fucking love Kong skull Island. Uh, that's that's I'm all in on the, the monster verse, but, uh, 33 would be my second. I really like a lot of Peter Jackson's, but I'm with Patrick. It is entirely, you know, that's one of the things I actually noticed rewatching King Kong this morning is just how efficient it is compared to how like bloated Jackson's is. Um, and interestingly, how some of the special effects in Jackson's one have dated more poorly than the special effects in Cooper's. Uh, and so, you know, and then for me, 76, that was one I didn't get around to until later because my dad, who was the person who introduced me to all my movies, absolutely hated it. He was a big <laughs> fan of the original and he hated 76. So I didn't I didn't grow up watching that one, um, you know, but also got a shout out 
King Kong lives for being a pivotal plot point in one of my favorite movies, The Big Hit. So, uh, you know, got to give some love to that one, too. Yeah, I I have only seen this one and the Peter Jackson one, and I haven't seen the Peter Jackson one since the theater, and I remember, you know, probably dozing off in the theater because I'm like, holy crap, this is quite, quite long. Um, you know, what's, uh, I don't know if shocking is the right word, but, you know, the one, th- this one, 1933, it's still... 104 minutes long, you know, because you expect these older movies, right, to be between like 76 and 82 minutes. And so this one, with that said, though, it still is very efficient in sort of building its characters, the world. Um, and then, you, you know, what's funny is the, the climax that, that everybody grows up knowing with Kong on top of the Empire State Building. Like, I mean, this is like literally like like the third act of the third act is when they get to New York city. And so I think that's, it's fascinating. You know, most of the time we're, we're at this, uh, at skull not skull Island, whatever they call it, but with skull mountain and, uh, you know, exploring with the, with the native tribe and then the dinosaurs and everything. Um, there's something I, I'm going to, I'm going to share it on our, uh, Twitter page, but, uh, Kevin Maher had sh- uh, shared with me a, video a short from i think it's it's from bill scurry william scurry and uh it's a it's a deleted scene from king kong 1933 where the living sailors the guys who survived the island they're back on the boat and denim tells them we're gonna take the gorilla home and they're like but the dinosaurs he's like that's the thing you can't say anything about the dinosaurs and like but we've all seen gorillas back at the zoo dinosaurs nobody's gonna believe these dinosaurs it's like yeah we just can't talk about it so i'll I'll share it's really 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 funny um let me read a little thing from danny here again this is a great essay from danny i sort of uh picked and choosed um and threw together a little paragraph here he says and and he because this movie has been written about uh so extensively even back in 1981 uh, he decided to go the route of talking about two interpretations. And I love, I think, you know, that's sort of how I read or try to read King Kong now is like, what, what are the different interpretations? And so he, you know, he, he, he talks about, you know, uh, like a, a proud black man being humbled after moving to the city and, you know, being destroyed, uh, big game hunters, which I'd never heard before, uh, fears of a white woman being abducted by a black man, um, and that's something about the Great Depression, which I, I don't understand that one either. But anyways, let me read this real quick. He says, I believe we are on a journey through Carl Denham's subconscious. Denham conjures up Kong as a surrogate to battle Driscoll for Anne's love and to perform sexually with her when he has never been willing or able to have a sexual encounter himself. He believes women will strip him of his masculinity. Kong is Denham's female lusting side his alter ego which he keeps in the dark recesses of his mind behind a figurative great wall kong is evidence of denim's desperate need to possess Anne. the movie needn't follow the formula of having denim and driscoll vie for Anne's affections denim can allow driscoll free reign with her because in truth the schizophrenic denim is moving in on Anne from his kong side mike your thoughts so yeah, I re- I read you sent th- sent this to us, and I I read through it, and uh, you know I love Danny, but I think he might, 
he I mean it, it makes sense but I think he's digging a little deep on this one he's 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 embracing a little too much Freudianism in mm-hmm. this this uh reading of it uh because I I think sometimes something can just be what it says on the tin and can still be an all-time great movie and uh you know a movie about dumb white people try and kidnap giant monkey giant monkey smacks them around is really it's fine to not go any deeper on king kong than that uh so there was a little bit of this one that was that was a bit much for me um i i you know it's one of those things where i think death of the author and all that i i would be surprised if cooper and and at all were were working on a level that deep as they were trying to put this movie together but who knows yeah, yeah. Shotstack and, and Cooper always said, no, it's just a movie about a guy bringing a giant gorilla back to the city. That's all it is. Um, and there have been several different interpretations. Patrick, how do you interpret King Kong in this way or in any other way? Or is it just a big monkey in the city? I mean, I think it's hard because of when it was made and because some of the sequences in the movie, I think it's hard to avoid some of the sort of racially charged readings of it. I don't think that that's what they set out to make at all. Uh, but I certainly think you could look at it through that lens. I think the the notion that Kong is is Denim's like raising Kane, I think is a little uh, nuts. I, I don't buy into that. But it's cool to read. I mean, it's not something I would have come up with on my own. Yeah, it's really interesting that essay and the book and Danny's book is like so different and so like film theory e when when all of his other entries, I mean most of the ones that I've read are just like pretty straightforward, like uh here's some cool things about this movie, here's why people like it. Um so yeah, I feel I wonder if maybe uh there had been just a lot of writing about this movie and he felt like he had to like come up with a new theory or something to to even be able to write about it well i i will say this so i i had read this essay after i watched the movie which i'm gonna look i i want to see when did i log this on letterbox for the first time 2020 is when i watched king kong for the first time and so that's when i would have read the essay his essay right afterwards so i hadn't read the essay until, you know, two hours ago, let's say, from this recording. And so I'm watching King Kong, and I swear to God, I'm like, is this movie about, like, illegal sex trade industry? (laughs) And so, and then I read Danny's essay, I was like, oh my God, are we sort of on the same wavelength? And maybe that's why I love Danny Perry so much, because we're both, you know, uh, idiots that think think like that but uh i don't know i thought that was really interesting i'm reading it and I'm like holy crap this is exactly what i was thinking about when i was re-watching the movie all that said i still think Shodstack and cooper went out to make a movie you know because i look at what's coming out like this is the sort of the forefront of of the you know the big you know dinosaur island lot you know uh lost world type of movies right but that was the thing. That's what was, you know, uh, entertainment at the time that was bringing in the crowds. And so I think they just went out to make a movie about a big monkey, uh, which is totally fine. Um, so, Kristen, this is a first time 
that you saw it, your initial thoughts, please. Uh, there were way more dinosaurs than I expected. Was that good or bad? <laughs> it was fine. It was just like, oh, this movie could have been called like Ancient Island or like it, it's there's so much on the island besides this giant ape. Um, yeah, it was okay. I mean, I, it was way more adventure than I expected, and I really liked that. And I could I could see a lot of, like, you can really see, like Mike was saying, the influence of this movie just, like, everywhere, like, threads of it spiraling out. Um, so that was cool. Um, and I really like Robert Armstrong's voice. <laughs> he plays the director and his over-the-top, like, craziest director character that seems like it would be really fun and I started watching the um 76 version just before this recording and I feel like Charles Grodin is bringing that <laughs> that energy which I like so Charles Grodin played the denim character in the 76 one that's interesting. he's a different it's a different like story like he's not a director but oh, okay. the character is similar um yeah gotcha he's okay. like an oil man Okay. Yeah, it's, uh, I'll tell I don't love, well, I didn't love Robert Armstrong in this movie. And then, uh, right after this ended today, I watched Son of Kong, which I'd never seen before. And he was, I don't know, he just seemed more relaxed. Like his performance was way better. Um, I think Carl Denham is, well, is Carl Denham the bad guy? Mike, is, is he the villain of this story? Is there a villain of the story? I mean, I've always considered him, even when I was a kid, I've always sort of considered him the villain of the story um, because he's the only one that really seems to actively make things worse for everybody else. Right. <laughs> I mean, that's that's really the role that he plays here is he actively makes things worse for everybody. Some of the other characters, you know, even the the Native Islanders are doing some of them are doing bad things and obviously Kong's doing a lot of bad things but all of those are things that existed somewhat normally until Denim shows up. So for me, yeah, I do consider him I do consider him the villain. Not not necessarily that you know Kong is his uh subconscious penis or anything, but that he is uh <laughs> he is still kind of the villain of this movie. What? He's not? I thought, wow. I was watching a weird movie then. I, I read this all wrong. It's called Welcome Home, Brother Charles. <laughs> well, I just I just watched the the first Hanzo the Hanzo the Razor movie, and like he's that's I didn't realize that was all about his penis. So, um, anyways, welcome to Penis Cast. Uh, yeah, I like I have a hard time liking denim and. And we talked about this last week on The Searchers where John Wayne's character, Ethan, obviously a giant piece of shit, but like the four of us on that episode agreed like we loved spending the two plus hours or two hours with Ethan and with Denim, like he's just so slimy and greasy and I cannot stand being around him. And, you know, shoot, maybe that is... Uh, that speaks to Robert Armstrong's performance where I'm like, this guy's a real fucking asshole. Uh, he's a real monster and I can't stand him. Uh, Patrick, your thoughts on, uh, on Carl Denham. And, and since I, I would like to get 
I you'll have to remind me of of Jack Black. Jack Black plays Denim, right, in the Peter Jackson one. He does, yeah. Is he as slimy as this Denim? He's slimy and he's an opportunist, but I think he plays him a little more likable just by virtue of being Jack Black. Jack Black, okay. Uh, he adds a lot of air guitar to Carl Denim that I don't think was present <laughs> in this in the original material. Um, Charles Grodin's Oil Man is much more of an overt villain, I think, okay. in the 76. He's just kind of a scumbag all around. And... I don't know. I mean, there's something darker about the Carl Denham in 33 than there is in the Jack Black one, because Jack Black, again, kind of softens him up and he's all about the movie. And he, But you get the sense that he loves making movies. And I don't necessarily get that sense from this Carl Denham. Um, I guess if there's a villain in the movie, it's him to the degree that like dr frankenstein is the villain of frankenstein sure. but uh i've never really looked at him that way i i've always just seen this as a movie kind of without a villain because everybody has everybody's kind of coming at it from their point of view and their perspective and everybody feels justified in their actions including kong you know yeah yeah, is um well. Th so that was gonna be my kind of next question. I'd ask you guys: Is is Kong the one we're supposed to feel sorry for? Is uh, I I think Fay Ray probably is top of that list, right? Because she's sort of conned into doing this, um, or at least I feel like. Um, am I wrong in that? I feel like Denim sort of, you know, he obviously goes to the soup kitchen looking for a desperate person and then tries to sell this to her um and so i feel like i don't know she she's the one that i'm supposed to pity the most um although her screeching so so much screaming in this movie really gets on my nerves there's uh, a lot of good screams and like good man screams in this movie was, <laughs> there's dinos eating a guy coming out of a tree or something and it's just a really great uh surprising like this is way more violent than one would yeah. think for a night like all the bodies falling like the when kong grabs that that lady from out of her apartment and like kind of looks at her and oh this isn't the one i want just drops her to her death like that's a terrifying thing and i kept thinking how would i what if i'm in the city like what if i'm on that subway car <laughs> right and like they're this is fucking giant gorilla terrorizing the city and like we're going to derail because he's ripping the tracks apart. And uh, yeah, it's really terrifying to think about. Um, so, you know, Faye Ray, she's she's the innocent one, her and 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 Kong. That's how I read it. Am I wrong here? I don't feel like Kong is super like innocent or like we're we're necessarily supposed to align with him like because of how brutal it is like he fights a t-rex and he like pulls <laughs> he like kills it by pulling its jaws open and then blood is pouring out of its mouth so it's just like really brutal and he's just because he keeps like fighting things and he's he stomps people to death you're just like oh this is like an animal and so it's more like humans are are messing with something they shouldn't mess with 
but not that he's like a sympathetic ape man character necessarily. Interesting. Well, Go ahead, Mike. I, I was going to say, first of all, I'm glad you called it. You know, this movie goes, especially in the 2005 restoration, this movie goes so much fucking harder than it has any right to for a 1933 movie. Like this thing goes hard and I love it for that. I think that was the thing that I appreciated the most this rewatch. But I think we're supposed to sympathize with Kong the way we sympathize, at least a lot of people do, with the bulls in a bullfight. Right. Uh, the idea is, you know, the the bull's going to do what the bull's going to do. And, you know, we usually feel kind of OK if uh, the bull gets one up on on somebody. Um, so I think the idea here is, is not that Kong's like this fully realized character that we're supposed to sympathize with. But I think we are supposed to sympathize with him in the way that the filmmakers represent sort of like big game hunters going after something that they've got no business going after. And so there is a bit of catharsis when the thing they're going after does manage to get one up on do some smushy, smushy, chompy, chompy. Um, and so that's that's kind of how I look at Kong as sympathetic. I, I think once you get to the end, there's really no question that it's supposed to be sympathetic. I mean, that that's supposed to you're supposed to fill something when he falls off the Empire State Building. Yeah, as a as a monster kid i have always identified with and sympathized with kong not that i'm rooting for him actively to murder the guys in the film crew um but again they have invaded his territory and so he's acting out of self-defense and when we get to the end and he's on the empire state building then i am actively rooting for him to take down the planes uh not for him to destroy trains and drop women out of the windows but again it's He's acting according to his nature in an environment that he does not understand because we brought him there because we are dicks and Kong isn't a dick. He's just a giant ape uh, who doesn't even fully understand the ramifications of his act actions. I love when he when he splits that dinosaur's mouth. Um, he kind of plays with it like he doesn't understand why it's not moving anymore. Uh, it's this great, almost childlike moment of like, wait, what did I do? Uh, so I, I genuinely love Kong and, and I get not everybody feeling that way, but that's part of what has always drawn me to monster movies is because I tend to sympathize with the monsters. Yeah. It's always, uh, you know, man versus nature. You know, I, I think about Patrick last time you were on the show, we talked about Aguirre and um, sorry if I'm stepping on anyone's pick towards the end of the show here, but we, you had talked about um, Cannibal Holocaust as a pairing recommendation on that episode. And, and I was thinking about that as, as I was watching King Kong today. And I love Cannibal Holocaust. Um, I love everything about it. Everything. I love everything. All, all the, everything about it. I'm joking. Um, but like, yeah, it's like by the end of that movie, I'm like, cheering i'm like yes fuck these white people up like destroy them eat them kill them like do everything horrific to them that you can um and i was sort of feeling like that with kong today too even with the subway car even with that lady she's completely innocent she was just trying to sleep <laughs> but, you deserve to be pulled out of her bed and <laughs> dropped to her death fuck her man you know 
I'm sleeping. <laughs> yeah, it's you know, I I don't know. I it was weird how I found myself sort of cheering for Kong, like, yes, get your revenge type of thing. And then and then watching Son of Kong, which is a fine movie, but like they really make Denim way more sympathetic here and you know, he has learned his lesson. Um and he goes and finds the the son of King Kong on the same island and you know he's he's talking to him uh like like they can understand each other and you know saying oh man your your pops was a good fighter and all, you know all this stuff um like i said i liked that sequel but i i just thought it was you know after feeling so greasy and grimy watching denim and then and then having the same filmmakers be like i oh, actually this guy's cool feel good for him so <laughs> kind of weird um uh patrick i do want to disagree making uh king kong the dick uh danny thinks that king kong is the dick all oh, right sorry yeah. yeah carl denham's big big giant black dick in this movie <clears throat> uh yeah it's um oh shoot i was gonna talk about fey ray the first time, so the first time I watched this movie, I just hated, hated Fay Ray, and and uh, that might be sacrilege. I don't know, maybe it's not. Um, but this time, I really fell for her character, and I thought her performance was great. Um, do you know is that the general consensus for Fay Ray in this movie? Is she beloved, or or? Do pe people look at her as like, you know, this screeching eagle? I liked her. Yeah, my understanding has always been that she's her performance is pretty widely beloved in this movie. Okay. Yeah. So I'm the asshole. I get it. No, I get it. not at all. I just, she kind of, at least again, among horror fans and stuff, she became an icon based solely on her performance in King Kong. Right. Yeah, I mean, she is considered the first scream queen. So, right, right. Uh, the lady's got a, a set of pipes on her, for sure. Okay, so here's here's my uh, biggest question about King Kong and Carl Denham. What exactly was the end game here? He was going to bring this giant ape back to New York City, put him on Broadway, have him chained up on the stage. And then what? Let's speculate here. Mike, what happens after this? If 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 they keep him chained up, he doesn't escape. Well, I mean, it, it goes on to become the longest run on Broadway that the Broadway's ever seen. Like, it, it, come on, you're not going to watch some fucking cats dancing around through the audience <laughs> in Kong. Um, <clears throat> so but it is it is interesting because it does bring up a point how much you know with denim they're clearly i think trying to go for a pt barnum vibe because this is definitely <laughs> barnum would have tried to do if mm. he could um so you know i'm sure after kong dies denim would have him stuffed and and put him in some like museum somewhere uh to uh you know charge people you know 25 cents or whatever they charged back then and until the day, you know, he dies. Is anyone ever suggesting that P.T. Barnum was exploitative and not <laughs> our greatest showman? I mean, 
I, I I'm desperately trying not to sing from the movie, so I'm not. <laughs> yes, yes, yeah. He is. Uh, he is in fact not our greatest showman. Uh, that's Zac Efron. Everybody knows. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's that's definitely kind of I get the vibe I got is is P.T. Barnum this time. He does okay. his run on Broadway, and then you know you start plugging him in, and you have him do Willie Loman and Death of a Salesman. <laughs> you have him play Fiddler. You do you keep him on Broadway and just plug him into other shows. Tradition, uh, yeah, it's you know. Now speaking of real life Broadway, they you know they did make King Kong a musical that ran for you know less than a year. And I, I missed it by like a day. We were Erica and oh, I were really? in New York and we were so trying to fit it in and we couldn't because we had tickets to something else. I think we were going to go see Kiss and the show wasn't going to get out in time. I was dying to see it because I knew it was a bad show, but like an amazing spectacle. And I just right. wanted to see them do the the ape on stage. So that's a big regret of mine that we didn't get to see King Kong on Broadway. It's just one of those like where you think why is this how is this going to be a musical like why are we doing this and it's it's to put this giant thing on stage with the with the puppeteering and you know it's magical and everything sure but i you know i i guess that's hollywood that's broadway that's producers for you going out for that cash grab um but i never ever understood like Carl Denham, what do you, what's the plan here? Like, is this a one night thing? Uh, and I started thinking about, oh, I wonder if the producers would be a good, a good pairing with this. Um, so Patrick, you saw this. Did you just recently see this in the theater? I, or did you guys uh, see Godzilla recently? Ago, okay. Yeah. I thought, what did you just take the kids to see recently within the past three or four months? Older uh, movie. Which one? At the, it was an older movie at the music box. Oh, uh, Ball of Fire. Oh, that was probably the Howard yeah. Hawks movie. Yeah, yeah, that's right. For some reason, I was thinking King Kong. Okay, I'm wrong. Uh, yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I, I don't know. It's Kristen. Do you do you read this? Uh, going back to the sort of interpretation of King Kong. I know people like to try to overanalyze this thing, but on an in initial watch. Was there any sort of interpretation you took from this other than Big Monkey in the City? <laughs> I think it's just the classic story of like humans are like trying to possess things that they can't or, or shouldn't and the repercussions of that, I think. My read. So we here in Omaha, we have the. Uh, uh, it's like, you know, a great, a really great zoo, world-renowned zoo. And uh, we belong to it. We go there all the time. But every time we go, I feel terrible, um, you know, thinking, look at these. <laughs> they say, you know, these animals were rescued or whatever. I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> um, anyone else feel that guilt when they go to, um, to the zoo? Yeah. I uh, sorry, go ahead, Patrick. No, go go ahead, Mike. I didn't used to, but I, I do now, uh, you know, especially as we know more and more about how 
a lot of zoos do not take care of their animals at all well. Um, and I kind of feel like if you've ever gone to an actual wildlife reserve, it's less kind of fun because there's no guarantee you're going to see any of the animals. But I, you do feel a little uh, cleaner. Your hands feel a little cleaner as you're going as you're going through it. So I definitely have that. And, and I think that's part of kind of somewhat of what Kong traffics in as well as it does bring up those feelings nobody likes to see caged animals well nobody except for monsters you know absolute bastards like to see caged animals decent people really you know if you've ever even gone and adopted a pet it's like your first inclination is i want to take all of them home so i, I yeah i definitely have that vibe at a zoo i remember watching this for the first time the king kong and like Kristen, i was like holy shit there's lots of dinosaurs like there's brontosaurus, there's a stegosaurus, there's a tyrannosaurus, there's a, a pterodactyl. It's a giant lizard thing that he, that's another like super gruesome part where Kong like picks up that limp neck of, of whatever that is. And like, just lets it droop. It's like, <laughs> Jesus Christ. It's so, so, uh, um, violent, but is this uh, like, does everybody else kind of, think the same when when you're watching this uh why the gorilla why not the dinosaurs that deleted scene is how we ended up with uh jurassic park the lost world gotcha. uh, so uh, i actually don't i don't because quite honestly uh even though kong just killed a tyrannosaurus rex i'm still going after the giant monkey not the giant thunder lizard that that you know like no sorry i i don't fuck with dinosaurs i'll, I'll capture the gorilla and bring the gorilla back i do not fuck with dinosaurs so for me that's not something that's ever really like registered in my brain uh, as far as like well, why wouldn't they bring back the dinosaurs? Because I'm just like, well, logistically, that just seems so much more difficult, uh, it, you know, and then they get out and it's in San Diego and Jeff Goldblum has to chase it down. And, and just, just it's no fun for anybody. So it's true. Great point. Great point, Mike. No, um, I saw the Lost World Jurassic Park. It was no fun for anybody. <laughs> um, OK, before we move on to the second part here, uh, favorite giant creature in a movie. Mike, you're up first. Uh, it's it's always Big G. It's gonna be Big G until the day I die. Godzilla. Is it? Do you have a Do you have a favorite Godzilla movie? Or or do we need to wait for that? Uh, yeah, let's 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 okay. circle. Okay. <laughs> uh, Kristen, favorite giant creature from a movie? No, oh, I don't know. I'm just gonna say the stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, it's inside of us, man. <laughs> Patrick, uh, mine's calm. Yeah, it's the reason that he's the reason that since I was a kid, gorillas were always my favorite animal and they were always the ones that was always what I was most excited to see if we went to the zoo and I trace it all back to King Kong. Sweet. OK, so um, any other final thoughts on King Kong? Anyone? Uh, I was also uh, not knowing what I was getting into, struck by like the music in it and how oh, it sure. starts with like eight minutes of the overture. overture like it just says overture on the screen and you're like wait am i did i go to the symphony on accident um <laughs> but in the music is very like uh like dramatic in the way that like uh like cartoons cartoon music is so sure. i don't know it was weird 
I say bring back the overture. I miss the overture. I also was like, oh, are there going to be, like, they start with the overture. I was like, oh, are there going to be different musical breaks? But no, there's just just the overture. A little, little disappointing. There's no <laughs> entract in the middle. Right. Um, all right. Let's move on to uh, some pairing recommendations here. I'll be honest with you. I had a really hard time. I was trying to be creative uh, with this. And but it was really, really hard for me. So, um, Mike, let's start with you um, and hear your first one. So, yes, the aforementioned Big G Godzilla. Um, I thought initially about recommending the original 1954 uh, Ishiro Honda Godzilla, but I actually think as a bookend, this might play better a little bit as a pairing to see how far we've come in terms of the special effects and stuff like that. So my first pairing is actually going to be uh, 2016's Shin Godzilla, directed by Hideaki Anno and, uh, and Shinji Higuchi. Uh, this is basically just an... <laughs> Telling of Godzilla of the original 1954 Godzilla, uh, but with an added focus on the complete and utter failure of Japanese bureaucracy to respond to a extinction level crisis. Uh, you know, everybody probably knows, hopefully knows that you know the original Godzilla. Honda made that as a response to 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 sort of process his feelings uh, about Hiroshima and Nagasaki and what the nuclear era means and and things like that. And this one was made by by Anno and Higuchi to help sort of process their feelings on how badly the Japanese government kind of messed up the Fukushima nuclear disaster. Mm their response to the uh, 2011 tsunami and earthquake. Uh, so what you've really got, what you've got here is you've got a lot of uh, sort of almost West Wing-esque political stuff going on as the bureaucrats are trying to figure out how to deal with this. And our scientists, of course, know how to deal with it, but they keep getting stonewalled, coupled with, you know, scenes of Godzilla laying waste to Tokyo. And it does something that no other Godzilla movie does, which is we actually see Godzilla go through about three or four different forms in this movie, uh, which is incredibly cool. The character design is is just out of this world cool. Um, and so to me, I think if you like King Kong, there's definitely a lot to recommend for Shin Godzilla. I, I, it's my favorite Godzilla is still 1954. And then I also have a very big soft spot for Ryui Kitamura's Godzilla Final Wars. But this one is right up there as well. Uh, this one is, I can watch this movie over and over again and always find something new to take away from it. Okay. I, I know you, you recently mentioned, like this mentioned in passing this movie on uh, Film Feast when you were talking about, uh, uh, what the fuck were you guys talking about? Shin Ultraman, which is by the same right. creator. Yeah. Okay, so what Shin, does that have anything to like what does that mean? It, it basically means oh, okay. new, so it's new Godzilla, new Ultraman. Gotcha. Okay, cool. Um Kristen, Patrick, have you guys seen Shin Godzilla? I have yeah, love it. recommend. Recommend. Okay. All right. It's been on my watch list. I remember it when it came out, it came out to uh they played it at our Alamo for um, for uh, their October program. I can't remember what he calls it, but, um, and I, I usually go to, uh, try to catch a bunch of movies at Alamo 
in October because they do a bunch of uh, rep screenings. And this was one of them, but I, I missed it that year. So um, anyways, um, been on my watch list for a long time. All right, Patrick, let's hear your your first pairing recommendation. Uh, mine is not super creative. I did my pairings before I rewatched King Kong. So I was like, I want them both to be, uh, you know, New York based. And then I watched King Kong and I was like, there's like 15 minutes in New York. But all right, I'm sticking with what I was going to go with. Um, so both of my pairings come from Larry Cohen, which is so funny, Kristen, that you just mentioned the stuff because uh, my first Larry one, I was Cohen's like, always on my mind. Yeah. Uh, Giant <laughs> Monster in New York. I was like, well, I got to go cue the Winged Serpent. Yeah. 1982. You guys can call this anything you want. Mass hysteria, anything you want. But 43 witnesses, and they all concur. Okay? Rooftop pool, 57th Street and 2nd Avenue. Luxury co-op. The guy is snatched out of the pool and carried away. Joseph T. Adrian, divorced, uh, has a firm someplace in the garment district. I mean, he's snatched out of the pool and carried off by something that flies. That son of a bitch is getting old. You know, something I don't quite understand. You don't seem at all surprised by this. Why is that? Uh, starring David Carradine, Richard Roundtree, and the great Michael Moriarty, giving just a wild performance as a jazz musician who tries to pull off a crime and then is trying to discovers the nest of a winged serpent at the top of the Chrysler building and then is basically trying to sell the location to the police who are trying to figure out why people are being randomly beheaded on rooftops and <sighs> dropped from buildings and stuff. Um, lots of cool stop motion effects, lots of great Larry Cohen dialogue, uh, great, you know, guerrilla style New York photography where they just run in. And by the way, I was not trying to make a joke with guerrilla style, but you know, uh, <laughs> where they just run in and steal shots and um, and the climax kind of takes place in the Chrysler building, much like King Kong takes place at the top of the empire state building. I love the story, how <clears throat> Larry talks about how uh, they're shooting in, in a bar or something. They had that piano there <clears throat> and Moriarty just sat down and started playing, <clears throat> excuse me, cause he can really play. And Larry's like, uh, Okay, do that now. You're a jazz musician. That's that's your character now, <laughs> right? It's it's so so great. Yeah, he is. I think that was the first time I ever saw Moriarty, or at least the first time that I was aware of who this actor was. And uh, God, he is something special, man. Really, in those in those Cohen movies, he's so um, he's not charming. He's magnetic. Yeah. Like there's something about him where he just like, I can't take my eyes off this guy. Cause he's a little volatile, a little, um, maybe a little dangerous. You don't know what he's going to do, but my God, he's so good. There's a very famous story that Roger Ebert used to tell. I think he told it in his review of Q where he said he was leaving a screening and, uh, the, some critic was talking to the movie's producer and he says, uh, what a what a movie inside all this dreck is a great Michael Moore a method Michael Moriarty performance and the producer said well the dreck was my idea <laughs> oh, poor Larry Cohen he yeah, he you know he had such a sense of humor and like he gave a shit he was you know he'd been rich 
from his writing career for so many years ahead, you know, anyways. So he's, you know, whatever. Um, man, really miss that guy. Yeah. I go back and watch uh, King Cohen at least once a year since it came out, just because, you know, it's really inspiring just watching this guy who obviously felt the need to keep creating and making, um, but also like he knew how to make a buck. Right. So yeah. I don't, I, you know, he knew how to kind of play the system. He knew what people wanted. He knew what would play. He knew what would make money. So, um, and he knew how to make a movie without spending a lot of money, always using it, you know, his house, his pool, um, man, what a, and Q, Q's one that I go back to all the time too. Cause it's, um, it's so entertaining. It's a great New York movie. Um, all right, Kristen. Okay, I'm going to go with The Incredible Shrinking Man from 1957, directed by Jack Arnold, because the the jung- the scenes where they're in the jungle in King Kong kind of reminded me of this, because the jungle is like a little bit oversized. Every day it was worse. Every day a little smaller. And every day I became more tyrannical, more monstrous in my domination of Louise. Heaven knows how she lived through those weeks. Only I had the power to release her. If I could find the courage to end my wretched existence. But each day I thought, perhaps tomorrow. Tomorrow the doctors will save me. Um, on the island. Uh, and I saw this as a kid and I think it broke my brain. It's kind of terrifying it's similarly like more brutal and bleak than you expect a movie from this period to be um this this guy is on a boat um and he he passes through a mist while his wife is downstairs in the boat getting him a beer so she's she's fine (laughs) um and then he starts uh slowly shrinking and just like it kind of it's cool it has cool effects and it's like he has to kind of deal with different obstacles at every level of size until ultimately he's like fighting a spider with a giant pair of scissors or whatever um but it's kind of like existentially horrifying (laughs) like it doesn't have a, a resolution like a happy ending it's just like and then he keeps shrinking forever at the end. <laughs> so it, it has a similar, it has a lot of similarities, I think. It would make a good pairing with King Kong. I've still never seen The Incredible Shrinking Man. So I, and it was on my short list to, to watch for this episode because I thought it'd probably make a good pairing. But I'm it's, glad you brought it up. It's so good. Nice. Um. <clears throat> Okay, so for my first one, and I had to double check. I I can't believe I hadn't brought this up because I, I've talked about it on Cobwebs. I've talked about it on Film Feast. Um, I've probably talked about it at uh, somehow on Lindsay's show on Schlock and Awe. Um, and it's so he, here's the thing: King Kong has never played on Sven Gulli. And probably because it's uh, something with Universal um, and, you know, they they get a package of movies uh, and whatever. But for some reason, 
King Kong has never played on Sven Gulli, which is really interesting. And I know Patrick, you watch Sven Gulli when you can. Yeah. Do 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 you guys, Mike and Kristen, do you guys get Sven Gulli? No. You don't. Okay. So is that just a Midwest thing, Patrick? I thought it was. I know. <laughs> I think it depends on the market. I don't know because I think they get it out in LA. Okay. Um, I guess I should say I might I might get it here, but I a I cut the cable cord years ago and B um, I haven't looked for it on like whether it's on an antenna channel or not. I haven't, I haven't looked for it. Yeah. He's on me TV. Oh, well then I probably do get it. Cause I do have, I get me TV. So, oh, okay. Okay. So yeah, it's, it must be an over the air thing for everybody. But anyways, um, I've talked about it a lot in the past, no matter what, if we're home on Saturday night, Sven Gulli is always on TV. We're not always watching it, but it's just sort of, you know, uh, we sit down for dinner and I make sure uh, the channel is tuned to 7.2. And um, and so at some point on a Saturday night, like I said, if we're home, we'll sit down and we'll watch a little about, you know, whatever, whatever movie he's playing. But, you know, it's all it's all about his his commentary in between the commercials and everything. Anyways. So uh, I, I have a running list of all the movies that um, Rich Cause in the Rich Cause era has played on Sven Gulli era. Um, and King Kong has not played, which is really strange to me. Um, but this movie is one that I first saw on Sven Gulli and have since seen probably 12 times because I love it so much. And it's 20 million miles to Earth. The size. Eight days ago, it was about this tall. How do you account for this astonishing rate of growth? Or is that norm on Venus? No, it isn't. The scientist here believes that the Earth's atmosphere has upset its metabolic rate. The more air it breathes, the more tissue it builds, and the bigger it gets. If you'll follow me, please. You've undoubtedly heard of Dr. Gerhard Blankford of Vienna, probably the world's top man in anesthesia. It's the doctor's job to keep the creature unconscious during the examination. Now, you'll note the wire running down to the creature's wrist. Dr. Blankford keeps 1,800 volts of electricity coursing through the body. More voltage and it would die. Less and it would awaken. Amazing. Utterly amazing. You can get a better look at the wrist connection this way. From Nathan H. Duran. And it's, uh, it's my favorite Ray Harryhausen work. It's uh, it's about this uh, space shuttle that crash lands. Um, the only living astronaut or scientist uh, is played by William Hopper, and who is it? A you know a ton of these sort of you know fifties sci fi monster movies, and um, they bring back a little creature that they found on whatever planet they were on, and that creature is then stolen by this little Italian boy. And then his uncle um, feeds it and it starts to grow and um, eventually grows to, you know, gigantic proportions and, and kind of travels all over Europe and it's destroying, um, uh, you know, landmarks and stuff. And like the, the final showdown is is at the Colosseum in, in Rome. And um, but the, the sort of main set piece in this movie is this fight between an elephant and this creature. <coughs> Excuse me. And it is 
the best stop motion work I've ever seen. You know, we just got Mad God last year, and that's a that's a masterpiece of of animation. Um, but this, it, it's so <coughs> excuse me, it's so real looking. And you know, that's the work of Harryhausen. He just makes things look so seamless. You'd think you're watching real creatures battle, and it's it's really a, a a masterpiece to watch this this one one set piece of this battle between the creature and the the elephant. But you know, it's your standard fifties sci-fi monster movie. Uh, but it's so fun. Uh, William Hopper, I think, is um, I I love I love him. Joan Taylor uh, is really great in it. She plays sort of the the main love interest and um, daughter of of one of the scientists and. Uh, really great movie. Have have either of uh, you seen Twenty Million Miles to Earth? I saw it on Svengoolie the same way that you did, but I haven't seen it since. It's really good. I yeah, know, I remember really liking it. For some reason, it's one that I go back to all the time. It's a real you know sort of comfort movie. So I will um, answer that question just by showing you this. Oh hell yes, <laughs> that's nice. what I'm talking about. <laughs> I am a big fan. I am a big fan of 20 million miles to earth. It's one of Harryhausen's best. I agree with you completely. Yeah. It's uh shit. That's amazing. I'm really jealous (laughs) of that. You have that toy and it's, I think it's a really interesting looking creature. Like, you know, it's lizard like, but it has that, you know, like flat beak sort of thing. Yeah. It's really, really cool looking. Um, Anyways, uh, Mike, back to you. So I knew right away, like Shin Godzilla was a no brainer for me. The only question was, was I going to do 1954 or Shin? Uh, But I knew 100% I was going to do a Godzilla movie. My second pairing like fucking killed me. Like it, it just, it just racked my brain trying to come up with something that wasn't an obvious one, something that wasn't just uh, another type of King Kong movie. And I really dialed in this time watching it on the eccentric filmmaker goes deep into the jungle on an insane artistic journey and immediately went, Oh, right. Herzog. So, uh, but instead of either Aguirre or uh, Fitzcarraldo, I'm actually going to pair this with the 1982 documentary, the less blank documentary burden of dreams, which is about the making of Fitzcarraldo, which is an even more nightmarish story than the movie. Of course we are challenging nature itself and it hits back. It just hits back. That's all. And that's grandiose about it. And we have to, to accept that it is much stronger than we are. Kinski always says it's full of erotic elements. I don't see it so much erotic. I see it more full of obscenity. It's just, and nature here is vile and base. I wouldn't see anything erotical here. I would see fornication and asphyxiation and choking and fighting for survival and growing and just rotting away. Of course, there's a lot of misery, but it is the same misery that is all around us. The trees here are in misery and 
the birds are in misery. I don't think they, they sing. They just screech in pain. Uh, and so if you want to watch eccentric people go absolutely insane in the jungle <laughs> trying to make a movie, uh, this is this is one. And it even has its own, uh, you know, to, to say that, you know, <laughs> to quote Danny and say that Kong is uh, is basically Denim's unchecked id. This has, uh, Herzog has his own Kong in this because it's got Klaus Kinski in it and he is <laughs> in this movie. Um, so, it, you know, if you like, if people haven't seen it, if you like Hearts of Darkness or Lost Soul, the making of, of Dr. Moreau, those types of movies, this one is a must watch, but I think it really pairs nicely with, um, you know, listening to Herzog talk about why he's doing these things to make Fitzcarraldo and contrasting that with Denim, basically saying the same shit. Uh, it, it really, I think, pairs nicely together. I think it would make it would be, I think, weird for people to watch it. But once you got into it, I think it would make a ton of sense. They're madmen in different ways. Denim and Herzog. Yeah. Kristen and I just talked about this on uh, on our Patreon episode of Cult Documentaries. And I still haven't seen it uh, because I, I want to watch Fitzcarraldo first. And I was, Patrick, do you remember when I did, um, what was the column that I did uh, last year? The 5282, the 1982 movies. I was going to do like a back-to-back -back week of Fitzcarraldo and then Burden of Dreams, but I yeah. never got to it. Um, yeah. Because there are so many more great movies I had to write about. Um <laughs> Think about that stupid college slasher that Arrow put out after I said, no, do not watch this movie. And then Arrow's like, hey, we have this deluxe Blu-ray you should buy. Was it like Girls School or what's it called? Girls, uh, Night, Girls Night Out? Girls Night Out. There it is. Oh, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> People love it. I don't. Um, so I, I still have yet to watch Fitzcarraldo or Burden of Dreams. But yeah, Herzog, God, what a, really is a madman. <laughs> um, okay, Patrick. Back to you. Uh, yeah, I kind of went the filmmaking route also. Originally, I was just going to do another giant monster movie or chud. But then I was like, <laughs> no, let's go with the filmmaking aspect of the movie and sort of the relationship between Carl Denham and Faye Ray. And so I thought of another Larry Cohen movie, and I liked that both of my pairings were from Larry Cohen, and that's 1984's Special Effects. Mm. I was looking for Mary Jean. You see Mary Jean? There's no Mary Jean here. This is Christopher Neville. Okay, cut. He's famous for directing big-budget movies. But the movies he makes at home are a lot more interesting and not very nice which stars Eric Bogosian as a director who murders a woman played by Zoe Lund from Miss 45 and um, then decides to enlist her boyfriend to make a movie about her and casts an actress also played by Zoe Lund, who's supposed to look just like the first girl and plans to murder her as well. It's very sleazy. Eric Bogosian is really dialed in another great New York movie and just, uh, you know, speaking of unchecked id and just fucked up obsession movies. Uh, there's a lot of the sort of psychosexual stuff of King Kong that finds its way into special effects. Uh, Bogosian just, he's becoming a regular on this podcast. 
which is great because I love Eric Bogosian. Heck yeah. Um, I, I had picked him. <clears throat> I picked Talk Radio as a pairing for Citizen Kane last season. Um, this is one of like two or three Larry Cohen movies I haven't seen for some reason. I don't know why I haven't seen this. Um, I don't know that it's like super easy to see. There was an olive Blu-ray that's probably out of print because I think all olive movies are out of print, uh, which is how I saw it. But I don't know if it's streaming anywhere. Um, I'll find it. I can always find it. Um, Kristen, Mike, fans of special effects, have you seen it? I have to confess, I haven't seen this one either. This is one of the few Coens that I have. It's been on my list for like, probably i probably heard patrick talk about it at some point and it's been on my list and and uh but patrick talks about a lot of movies and so trying to watch all the ones that he mentions is <laughs> ask <laughs> not 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 gonna happen have you seen it Kristen? no i i bought the blu-ray when i was trying to buy all larry cohen's movies but i never watched it i gotta okay. get to it um is the plastic still on it probably I don't know. okay okay <laughs> <laughs> all right uh Kristen, what's your what's just to say it is apparently available for rent or purchase on voodoo and voodoo alone no idea what the quality would be on voodoo but it's probably the olive rip would be my guess mm. yeah all right Kristen. okay i'm gonna i'm gonna go a little little wild here um but i think if you if you consider the influence of King Kong and how it like has gone in a lot of different directions from like giant monster movies or just action adventure movies, um, I think this movie is like a particular, it's like the King Kong idea, sort of like there's a thread there, but a particularly 80s family reagan era vision filter on king kong um and that's harry and the hendersons from 1987 hell yes which is i guess technically a bigfoot movie but maybe all bigfoot movies could be traced back to king kong movie on the ground there was a footprint a big footprint so i was uh, hooked from that moment on I started spending all the time I could spare searching for the beast, then I spent time I couldn't spare. That's how I lost my job and my friends. It's so sad. Well, I didn't tell it so you could cry in your sprouts or whatever that is, darling. I'm telling it so that your father won't make the same mistake. Well, I appreciate what you're saying, Dr. Wrightwood, but... There's a big difference between your story and mine. Not as big as you think. Maybe even bigger. No, 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 you're kidding yourself. <clears throat> mm -mm -mm. I remember what you told me when you came into my shop. Bigfoot can come live with us. We'll accept the responsibility. <laughs> can you imagine what a Bigfoot would do to your home? <laughs> yeah, well, I can. You're good people. I'm going to say this once. I'm going to say it's simple. And I hope to God, for your sakes, you all listen. There are no abominable snowmen. There are no Sasquatches. There are no big feet. Um, yeah, so this says um, John Lithgow and 
and family. <laughs> um, like, I think they run, they run over a Bigfoot in their car and they think he's dead and they take him home to like, I don't know, make money off <laughs> this Bigfoot corpse. Uh, but it turns out he's alive and then he becomes a member of the family in that <laughs> 80s way. Um, yeah, I don't know. I haven't seen this movie in a long time, but it feels like it was on tv a lot or something like it just was around a lot when i was growing up it was like this in flight of the navigator where it was oh, yeah, watched yeah, when was, we were kids I was, yeah flight of the navigator and then i was thinking just like like et feels like in the same way of like oh aliens were really inspirational to me and now i'm a filmmaker but it's the 80s so it has to be like an alien movie but with a family <laughs> aspect i don't know those are and, the same same idea to me and all three of those movies have like really sad parts like <laughs> i i find the end of harry and the hendersons where john lithgow's like you know oh, yeah, that's like, the classic the classic scene of that of, is, of someone telling but it's oh, a creature God, to go away is mike gonna have a harry and the hendersons doll <laughs> he's bringing <laughs> um Harry comes out of the back. Yeah, I, I, I gotta, I gotta share this real quick. Um, this poster is terrifying. Yeah, I don't know. I've never seen that poster. I've in my never life, seen this, but, but it's they on the letterbox, and it's like, what it's so fuck? scary. I don't think it's real. I feel like someone made. It. Yeah, I don't like that at all. Um, are you a fan of Harry and the Hendersons, Patrick? I was when I was little. It was like it's such a stupid story but like my family would go see one movie a year and the year of harry and the hendersons it would have been 87 it was the only thing i wanted to go see because it was well actually i wanted to go see predator but i knew i had no shot with that so i was like harry and the hendersons got a guy in a suit it's got a it's got a monster sort of you know let's go see that and i had talked them into it we were practically going to go and at the last second my brother was like no let's go see space balls and i still haven't forgiven <laughs> Uh, yeah, I don't know what it is about. I, I haven't watched E.T. I haven't watched Harry and the Hendersons or Fly the Navigator since I was a little kid because I remember being so af affected by those movies and like they, they all three of them made me so sad. I haven't wanna, wanted to revisit them for some reason. I, I feel like Harry and the Hendersons is, is probably the, the f funniest out of the three. So I could probably get past the sadness of it, but it, it just lives in my head as this really sad movie. Well, Flight of the Navigator is like extremely upsetting as a plot for a kid. Like you wake up and your family is gone and you're like in a different time. Like what? That can happen? <laughs> my, my dad used to work for Albertson's grocery store. He was their graphic artist here in Omaha. And... um I don't know. I can't remember what part of the movie it is. I think it's at the end of Fly of the Navigator where the brother's going to launch the fireworks up from the roof or something. He uses a, a pack of matches um, and it's a it's a pack of matches from Albertsons. And so like every time that scene would come up, my dad would be like, oh, Albertsons, Albertsons. <laughs> it's like Albertsons was all over the country. Like everybody had an Albertsons. So I don't know why that was always such anyways. Um. Yeah, maybe I'll watch Harry and the... It's because it's on... Oh, no, it's not. It's not a Disney movie? I thought it was a Disney movie. No, it's not. Huh. 
Oh, Amblin. Okay. Um. Okay. <clears throat> Mike, do you have a Harry and the Hendersons toy? We thought that's where you were going. <laughs> oh no! I uh, unfortunately, uh, <laughs> you know. You said you don't cut anything, so just, my kidneys were swimming. Sorry, I was not going to be able to keep listening to everybody <laughs> for a second. I do not have a Harry and the Hendersons toy, unfortunately. <laughs> All right, so I also decided to go off the rails. I was going to go, you know, to monster movies, uh, but then I started thinking, okay, what if, what if you go to? Because at our Alamo here in town, they'll do. Uh, late night double features starting at like 10 o'clock and I don't go to them cause I can't fucking stay up that late. Are you kidding me? Um, but what if you went to a double feature of King Kong and then a surprise movie? And so I'm thinking I want to program this and I want to see how many people would get up and like walk out of the theater halfway through the second movie. Cause they're so upset and they're like, what the fuck? Why are you making me watch this? And for like the, the, the connection to King Kong would be the, the, the race thing, the slavery thing. And so I recently watched Jacopetti and Prosperi, uh, Prosperi's Goodbye Uncle Tom for the first time. Excuse us, uh, my colleague and I are here to conduct an inquiry. Uh, may we ask you a few questions? Yes, please, master. I'm at your disposal. Uh, you're here, as it were, to be sold, you know? Of course. We, we are truly appalled, sir. We can imagine how you must feel, you, your fear, your indignation. On the contrary. Why, in my career, I have always been very lucky. I've had masters, each one more humane than the next. But haven't you ever been treated brutally, whipped, beaten, tortured? In our profession, what counts is to do one's duty. Don't listen to all those stories about the various Uncle Toms and Simon Legrees and so on. It's all nonsense. Indeed, the truth is that we are valuable merchandise. And have you seen the prices in the market? I know it. I cost more than $2,000. And can you imagine a fool, excuse the expression, a fool of a master who would whip and maim a capital of over $2,000? No! If a slave is a respectable slave, his master treats him with kid gloves because it takes only one scar, one single scar, and plop, down shoots the price. You know, the client is suspicious. And it's a deeply upsetting movie. And um, Patrick will never watch this. I don't know about Mike and Kristen. I think Kristen probably, I wouldn't be surprised if Kristen had seen it. Um, Haven't seen it. Okay. I haven't seen it. It's been years. Okay. But yeah. yeah, that doesn't surprise me. Um, yeah, yeah, it's deeply upsetting. It's uh, it's a Mondo movie from 1971. And uh, Petty and Prosperi, you know, that those are the movies like they made. Um, Africa Audio, Mondo Kane, um, you know, just, really offensive movies but they're really well made and um so you know this is sort of like a faux documentary where these modern filmmakers go back in time to the slave trade and then like you know jump ahead a hundred years to you know plantation owners where they're driving you know they have slaves and everything but 
what is what's really upsetting about this is that obviously these two Italian filmmakers went into um, very poor black communities and said, hey, can you be in this movie? We'll give you a little bit of money. And, you know, people had to, like they needed money. And so they signed up for this movie and like went through really degrading circumstances. Um, You know, everybody's naked, everybody's sweaty, filthy, rolling around in in the dirt and being treated like shit. Um, But it's very well made and... um, you know, it's, it's interesting. This is, it was like Patrick. I remember one time I talked about one of the Olga movies when I was yeah. on an F this movie and then somebody was like, Oh yeah, you watch that for you know, historical context. And I'm like, it's not like I'm watching this to get off. Like I, <laughs> I, I'm interested in watching, you know, many different things. Yeah. Um, this is one movie. Goodbye, uncle Tom, that I'm not going to watch again. Um, you know, people say that about stuff like Irreversible or, you know, Henry Portrait of Serial Killer or Angst or whatever. Like those I'll rewatch over and over and over and over. I don't know why, but I really like those movies. This one, it's a it's a one and done for me. Uh, but I just imagine inviting people to a secret double feature and they watch King Kong, this classic of cinema. And then we take a 15 minute break and they come back in and I give them goodbye, Uncle Tom. And... You know, at at midnight, who's sticking around? So, um, that's you are you are an evil, evil man. Just <laughs> so you are an evil man. I made people pay for that double feature. You know, it's like twenty bucks a ticket. I have to sit through Goodbye Uncle Tom. Um, you can watch Goodbye Uncle Tom on on YouTube if you want to, if you're brave enough. So, anyways. Uh, Pauline Kael and Roger Ebert both had like very, of course they hated this movie and like their reviews are very uh, infamous about how much they hated it. Called it, you know, snuff films and and, and filth and um, it's pretty close to a snuff film. Anyways, uh, Mike, give me your two picks real quick. As far as where they can be found? No, 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 just the film titles. Five people love them. Uh, so, uh, yeah, Shin Godzilla and uh uh geez, why am I drawing a blank on the name? I just reckon <laughs> Burden of Dreams. Patrick? Uh cue the winged serpent and special effects. Kristen? The incredible shrinking man and Harry and the Henderson. And all of those are much better than mine. 20 million miles to Earth and goodbye, Uncle Tom. All right. That was a lot of fun. Mike, where can people find you out in the world of the internet? You can find me personally on Twitter and Letterboxd at Hibachi Justice. You can find Action from Everyone on Twitter at A4E Podcast and anywhere podcasts can be found. Patrick, hit him with the with the plugs. Uh, I'm on Twitter at Patrick Bromley or F This Movie at F This Movie or FThisMovie.com and new episodes of the show every Wednesday. And Kristen? I'm on Twitter at snail with an E on the end, S-N-A-I-L-E. Um, I made a new Instagram called Clapperboard Cuties. 
uh, which figures uh, at the archives project I'm working on a lot of uh, people holding slates um, in our all the outtakes we're going through and I love them all so go go look at them uh, not that she hasn't ever been but uh, Kristen is posting like really fascinating things that you're you're finding in the archive you're going through right now um, but that clapperboard cuties Instagram account is really really cool it's you know I don't know it's really interesting uh, you can find this show on Twitter and Instagram at Cole Movies Pod. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Loaderbox at AK Donnelly. That's A K D O N E L L Y. Um, fthismovie.com every Friday. Read my column, fthismovie.com every day for stuff. And uh, Mike and Patrick, thanks a lot, guys. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, thanks, man. Happy to happy to be back. And I'm always always happy to see Patrick. So I. I <laughs> Really, that's the only reason that I was here is just to, just because I knew I was going to get to see Patrick. <laughs> good, good. I bribed him. Yeah, Kristen, welcome back. Thanks, thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks.